Um, I'll give you a heads up for those of you who have been laboring in this body for a time. This is my last teaching on the person of the Holy Spirit. Next Sunday we will go back to 1 Corinthians 12, spiritual gifts. Um, I believe that we uh, who have been through these weeks of, uh, I don't know how many messages there are, more than four, okay? Uh, we basically took a break to see who the Holy Spirit was, to find out what He was about, how He did what He does, and um, this is the, the text that we are in today, and I call it the ministry of the one another. It is done by the Holy Spirit to get the whole understanding of it. You need to probably listen to all those messages. They are online, I think, uh, and um, you can catch back up. Let's read this and ask the Lord to teach us. <clears throat> Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourselves so that you two will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. Father, please teach us. Help us to hear this. Help us to Help this to be a part of the fabric of our souls that we may understand the things that you do. Father, may we understand that man has no ability to accomplish this. Man in his works, man in his ways, his methods, his ideas even fall short of what it is you call us to. And Father, through the power of your spirit and your people, may we just literally set our universe upside down to the glory and the praise of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. May we labor in the harvest that you have already provided. To your glory. Amen. We're looking at the Holy Spirit, and I want to give you the context of all of this because it's easy to jump into chapter 6 and say, okay, I'm going to go do this and this and this and this. But if you've missed chapter 3, verse 3, and if you missed chapter 5 on the gifts of the Spirit and, and, and how you're going to operate, you can't do 6. All right, because the key phrase in there, you who are spiritual, okay? I know a whole lot of people who think they're spiritual, but they're not. They may know a lot of Bible verses. They may have been to college. They may have done this. They may have done that, but they've got pragmatism or they've got experience or they're using psychology. They're blending it all together and they are just making people miserable. All right, and they get the glory for it. And that's that term there you see, let him boast. What are you going to boast in? Okay. Galatians 3, he started this whole thought process out. Verse 3, he says, you began in the spirit, you're now perfected in the flesh. There's not a Christian around who would say, how did you get saved? It was by the spirit, by grace through faith. The spirit invaded my life, overwhelmed me, broke me. At the instant of your salvation, if you're truly saved this day, you were convicted of your sin. You were drawn into repentance. You were given faith that is supernatural in its origins. You were gifted for the work that God has already ordained. You were immersed into the body of Christ. You were sealed by the person of the Holy Spirit as a, an engagement ring. Then what happens? 
then because of that work of the Holy Spirit, you have intimacy with God. You can call him Papa, Daddy. Because I have intimacy with God, now his word becomes that that I feast on. I am overwhelmed by his word. Why? Because I have an intimacy with Papa. I want to know Papa. I want to hang out with Papa. What is Papa about? How do I find that? It's in the word. And the word becomes alive to me. John even tells you, First John says, you don't even need anybody to teach you. Why? The Holy Spirit indwelling you with the power of the word will bring you to that position. But I also now, because I'm in the Word, because I'm intimate with God, I have this glorious view of Christ that literally overwhelms me in everything that I do and see. I have personal guidance because of the Holy Spirit. And the individual decisions that you and I make on a moment-by-moment basis, the Holy Spirit will be teaching and guiding and drawing you to where He wants you. Because of this, He makes you ministers of Christ. You are ministers. We don't send missionaries. You're a missionary. If you're not doing it, who will? Why? You can't do that. Well, I need to go to school. No. What missionary school did Paul go to? What seminary did Peter go to? See what we're doing? We're throwing man's ideas at it and the Holy Spirit is sitting there going, well, you know, they'll burn long enough and they'll get tormented long enough and they'll be beat up long enough. They'll come back. Because he's also given us power. The the power that exists in the child of God is the only power that spoke existence into being. That's all that is available to you. That's it. You literally have the ability to perfect a man's soul. You literally have the ability to present men and women complete in Christ. That's all. But you also have intercession by the Spirit of God. The perfect Holy Spirit knowing the perfect will of God and perfect intercession on your behalf at every perfect moment. That's not bad, people. That's just not bad. Okay? So why do we want to go other places? Well, it's easy. We looked at it in chapter 5. 5, 16, Paul says, listen, this is so simple, just walk in the Spirit. I mean, Paul doesn't even get into the details of it. Well, he does explain to you. 17, 18, 19, he says, you know what? By the way, your flesh is at war with the Spirit. Now, we concluded last week in our message that the, Matt and I are the only two who ever experienced this. The rest of you are so holy, and your leaders in this church are the ones who are struggling. So pray for us. Okay, because all the rest of you are, oh, I don't know. So have you ever had your flesh fight the Spirit? Your flesh ever just get up one day and say, I'm running this show and I'm going to make you miserable all day long? Okay, it only does that to me when I'm awake. But do we understand that? He says, walk in the Spirit. And we looked at this in depth. What does that mean? I'm going to walk in impurity. I want to walk as Christ walked. I want to walk in a way that when people look, they say, what's that person got? I walk in contentment. Check out the body of Christ today and ask you if you can see that. The walk in the Spirit is one of contentment. Not complacency. Contentment. Contentment. Big difference. We dealt with that. It's a walk of faith. It's a walk of faith. You know what that means? I only get the next step. That's all I get. I get the next step. I take the next step. I take the next step. It's a walk of faith. It's a walk of good deeds that God preordained. 
God had a plan. I knit you in your mother's womb. I chose you at a certain time. I have it all planned out, and here's what we're going to do. All you have to do is walk in it, and you won't do that by walking in the Spirit. You know what you will do? You will walk different than the world. You'll walk different than the world. I had a meeting one time with Yuri, uh, with Yuri Sipko, and we, he was wanting to show Vladimir Putin what's going on in a little bitty church in America. Why? Because if I bring in the mega church star, he could say, well, I know how you're affecting people because you got thousands of people giving thousands of dollars. We don't have that. Why? Because that is different than the world. The world says you get a bunch of butts in the seat, you'll get a bunch of bucks, and if you got a bunch of butts and a bunch of bucks, guess what? You got a ministry. And God says, I don't need your money. I don't need your money. But I do need your yielded life. Am I going to walk in the Spirit? You're different than the world. You'll walk in love, agape love. That means I'm going to love regardless of your response back to me. Okay? We have a system out there today that says, well, you've got to love, but you've got to have boundaries. What was Christ's boundary on his love for you? There wasn't one. What was God's boundary for his mercy for you, his sacrifice to you? What was the boundary? And he just said, just follow me. What's that mean? Walk as I walk. The Holy Spirit is doing all of this. You know what? I can't do this. I don't want to do this. Some of you are just really difficult to love. I know. So are you. <laughs> but <that's, laughs> You should be on our side looking out. Okay. I'm going to walk in wisdom. I'm going to walk in a wisdom that Psalm 19 says, the wisdom of God can only perfect the soul. All right. I, I re- every time I read that, I just read that and think, okay. It only perfects the soul. What can I add to that? I, do you see what I mean? Well, but if you don't understand, Freud said that. You know, no, I already understood my relative problem. Yes, my relatives caused me to be that way. Adam. Okay, I've got that done. Now what? Do you see what I mean? The law of the Lord will only perfect the soul. All right? That's wisdom. But that is also truth. I hear it on a regular basis. What is truth? Pontius Pilate stated it. I've seen uh, Cyrnak or whatever his name is. The Babylonian said it. They all say it. What is truth? I see it today in the Bible. You can have three pastors all teach the same text. They all come up with different ideas. And probably odds are all three of them are wrong. Why? Because they're, they're not teaching in context. They're not teaching in a horse, historical setting. I find it amazing to me that God will breathe this word, write this word down, and, but you're not going to figure it out. Well, what'd you give it to me for? He doesn't do that. But you know what he does say? If you don't yield to this, you'll never figure it out. You'll never figure it out. I, I, it's not complicated. Brothers and sisters, I wish you would understand that. People say, well, what seminary did you go to, Terry? I read the Bible. But what seminary did you go to? I read the Bible. But what seminary? I read the Bible. I would be curious to know how many of you in this room today have ever read the Bible completely through, from cover to cover. Don't raise your hands. It may depress me. Okay? I, I am teaching Corinthians and I, 1 Corinthians, and I have read 1 Corinthians now every day for over four years. 
I have read the Bible through from cover to cover. When I teach a book, I read the book every day, usually a year before I teach the book, and usually the whole time that I teach the book. Now grab a hold of this. The first book I taught, well, second book I taught expositorily in this church was the Gospel of Matthew. It only has 28 chapters, and it took me seven years to get through it. Okay? How many times did I read the Gospel of Matthew? Yeah, it takes time. But you know what? God left the throne of heaven and it took time. It takes a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. All right, so now then, I've got that laid out. You who are spiritual, who is spiritual? Who the flesh has been beaten down. Listen, he's not teaching you that you have to be perfect. He is teaching you you have to be pure. Okay? He who says he's without sin calls God a liar. All right? There's times when I have worked with people that in purity on both sides, it was phenomenal to watch what God did. There's times when I worked with people that one of us was not pure and the other one was trying to do it in their flesh, and there was always a conflict. When I see a conflict between believers, when I see a conflict in the body of Christ, I know emphatically one person at least is doing it in the flesh. Because it says that we already have unity in the Holy Spirit and it's preserved in the bonds of peace. What is fruit of the Spirit? Peace. Peace. I've taught on the doctrine of predestination. People get, oh, and, gee, many crickets, I can't believe it. It's in the Bible. I can't help it. There's Texas. I run through it. It says it right there. You don't like it, just mark it out of your Bible. It's no big deal. Okay, I don't have a problem with it. Okay, but you know what I learned in trying to teach that understanding? I can't teach it. If God doesn't open their hearts to it, I don't care what you do. I don't care what you do. I mean, take uh, Romans 9. Jacob I love, Esau I hate it. That's what it teaches. And it even says that before they were even born and could do bad or good, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Why? I don't know. Ask him when you see him. God did it. Why? Because he's God. All right? But I can't make people understand that. I've tried. I've tried. And all it does is usually increase blood pressure. And it's, you know, the doctrine is in there. One of the first doctrines that I ever found out in my study of Scripture was that one. And that one there leaded me to the greatest leaning to say the Bible was not written by man. Man would not write that doctrine. God would. And so I said, all right, that's cool. So if you're mad at me today because it's in there, it's easy. I'll give you the text. You can just go through it and mark them and say that they're not in your Bible. I don't have a problem with that. But he says here in Galatians 6, you who are spiritual. It's what I call the ministry of one another. This can only be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what this whole message is I've been teaching in the person of the Holy Spirit is this. Why? Because we are dealing with this person of the Holy Spirit. We're dealing with spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are not for you. Spiritual gifts are given to you for me. Okay, And that's why I call it the ministry of one another. And we always talk about it, and, and I see it propagated all over the place that, you know, I have the gift of tongues, or I've got the gift of prophecy, or I've got the gift of this, or I've got the gift of that. And basically, every time I see it exercised, it is somebody showing off. Okay? Look what I can do. I have never seen it in another format. Look what I can do. 
And the spiritual gifts are what I call the gifts of the one another's. If you remember back a few months, we were talking that God has given gifted, have given the gift of men to the body of Christ. Do you understand that? Okay. God gave the gift of men. He poured his power into these men and gave these men as gifts to the church. But then we looked at a gifts that built you up, that edified, that strengthened. You, every Christian, has a gift. And it's a, it's a color, it's a composite of many things. Listen, if you have the gift of prophecy without the gift of discernment, you are annoying. Okay? Because discernment says this is wrong. But some will tell you, I have the gift of prophecy and the gift of discernment. And people will say, well, everything you see, you see something wrong. You know what? In a lot of cases, yep. Why? The gift of prophecy is the proclamation of the Word of God in its context. So anytime I see somebody proclaiming the Word of God out of context, the gift of discernment says, that's wrong. Okay? You know what? You want that. If you've got the gift of knowledge, you better have some discernment too. Or you read every book that comes out. Basically, I'm going to walk in this. I have to walk in this gift. And this gift that you have is for me and the gift that I have is for you. And that is what I call the ministry of the one another. Now, here's how, how it manifests itself. This is the text that you're looking at in Galatians 6. How does your gift help me and my gift help you? Now, listen, your gift can help other people in the pew with you, in the chairs with you. All right, now, it's not, you know, I'm not so needy. I need all your gifts to help me. It's, it's for everybody in the body of Christ. All right? So walk. How do you do this? Here's what he says. Anyone caught in any trespass, okay, through the spiritual gifts, through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you are to what? You confront them. You have to confront them. Here's what's killing the church in America today. Spiritual gifted people in the spirit, those who are spiritual, will cause a brother or a sister entangled to face sin as a sin. I had a chance to meet with some Russian pastors, okay, uh, when I was in Chicago just recently. And um, Yuri Sipko is the head of all 12 time zones in Russia. Okay, so he's, he's definitely got his hands full. And they asked me, he says, how far are you from Colorado Springs? Yuri did. And I said, just... About 30 miles. And he says, do you know this man? Ted Haggard. I said, well, I wouldn't say I know him. I sat in a meeting with him a couple of times and, and all the rest of it. And he looked me in the eye with tears and said, how does this happen? That was his statement to me. How does this happen? He said, well, we were under communist oppression. This never happened. Even now, this never happened. How does this happen? He said, I've never heard this, ever. He says, my dad was a pastor. He never ever heard this. This is non-existent. How does this happen? How does the preacher fall into this? How does this happen? Okay, he was stunned by it. I was stunned when I found out the divorce rate in the church is non-existent. It's not there. Why? Because they exercise the gift, the ministry of the one another's. 
They hold one another accountable. They walk with one another. Okay? Um, it's, it's amazing to me. You have to confront this person. If we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us. That's what it says. To confess means, I agree, this is a sin. It isn't that complicated. God showed it to me in His Word. He showed it to me in His power of His Spirit. Huh, guess what? Uh, well, I'm thinking it's just morally challenged. No, it's a sin. It's a sin. And until we are willing to say, you know what? This is an offense to God. Oh, you're in trouble. I was in uh, Russia last spring teaching. And during the evenings, I don't have a lot to do. Okay, it's not like I can sit around and watch Russian television or Russian radio or chit-chat. Okay, and so I had taken some books that I wanted to read, some very lengthy texts that were not easy reads. One was a philosophical book. One was Arthur Pink's book on prayer. And Arthur Pink is on a different wavelength than I am. Um, and a few other things, uh, societal ch- church stuff. Uh, and then, you know, anyway, I read all. And Pink's book is about that thick. Okay. Um, D.A. Carson's book is about that thick. And then the other book was about like that, um, dealing with addictions. I read all of them in four days. Listen, I'm not a speed reader. Okay? Uh, Actually, yeah, I'm not. You know what God convicted me of? You waste a lot of time, don't you? Wanting to see what the weather is. See, in Russia, it's just snow. It's snow and cold. Or it's cold and snow. So it's not like I have to waste time. Or sports or whatever you do. How much time do we waste? Okay? When you are convicted of this and you understand that I agree, Lord, that this is a sin, then I know that His forgiveness, He is faithful and just to forgive us. And then I can confront that person. I can pray that God will strengthen them. And that is the beginning of the process. The process is I have to confront it. What you're doing is sinful. We have to help one another see sin as sin. You have to see this as sin. Forsaking the assembly together is a sin. Do you understand that? It is a sin. Well, I just don't have time. Tell him that when you see him because he said, I died for the church, but I just didn't have time. That's a sin. That's a sin. Not spending time on your knees is a sin. It says you are to pray without ceasing. How many of us see that as... You know, Valeria asked me, he says, I need you to pray for our Wednesday night service. He says, we take about an hour in prayer. So we have 225 members in this church. And he says, I can only get 178 to come out and pray for an hour. I looked at Valeria and said, you just caused me to sin. I don't know if it's envy or coveting or a blend of both. You can only get how many? How's come the church in America cannot come together to pray? I can tell you why. It is not seen as a sin. And the ministry of one another says it's a sin. It's a sin. Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18, beginning of verse 17, is the life of the church. Verse 15 says, if a brother sins, you reprove him in private. You know what that means, right? You have sinned. I need to tell you, you have sinned. 
Okay, you need to see this sin. See sin as sin. Dr. Olford used to say it, the sinfulness of sin. We don't use that anymore. We don't like that anymore. A lot of people do this wrong. You see a brother or sister in sin, we put it on the prayer chain. Okay, listen, you catch a brother or sister in any trespass, you who are spiritual confront the sin. But it goes beyond that. You bear the burden. You pick them up and carry them. Pick them up and carry them. Listen, now you don't think this ain't tough. Let me ask you a question. I'm going to go right home on this one. You ready? I'm not going to look up because I'm not making eye contact with nobody. If you're married this day, as a spouse, have you ever tried to reprove your spouse? I did once. I got, sorry, I got that scar right there. Broke me of that habit. <laughs> Never had to struggle with that ever again. Okay? Let me ask you a question. Is it easy? Nope. So how are you going to do it to a stranger? How do you forsake the assembly together when you're not stimulating to love and good deeds and then you're going to confront them? You know what happens? You don't do it. You don't do it. And the church is all busted up. It's crippled. Okay, he warns us here. Do it in spirit of gentleness, looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Why? You're going to make it look as sin as a sin. When we recognize it, Listen, when you take that person and you can show them biblically in the spirit of gentleness that what they're doing is a sin, you know what their their response will always be? Always be? Always be. They will confess it. They will be in agreement. Yes, you're right. It is a sin. They will agree. And you know what? Once that happens, who will they be seeking? God. They'll be seeking God's forgiveness and God's help to overcome it. You already won. It's prayer and confession. It's plea for the spiritual strength. James chapter 5 verse 14 says, You who are sick is the translation. It literally means weary. You who are entangled in the weariness of the day and the tangledness of the weary of the society. I am worn down. I am beat down. I am overcome by all of the stuff. He says, Get the elders to come and pray for you. An anointing with oil. I know these people. I have been these people. When I am so overwhelmed with the task at hand, so overwhelmed with the the minutia of life, entangled with the things of life, and I have to go to somebody and say, pray for me. Pray for me. You get a call from me saying, I want your prayers, or I announce it from the pulpit. I ain't saying it because I'm feeling kind of spiritual today. Won't you guys throw up some kind of prayer for me? I find it fascinating in the Thessalonian letters, an infant church, the Apostle Paul says, you infants in Christ, you babes, you toddlers in Christ, I need you to pray for me. We've got it backwards. We pray for all the babies. Now I ain't saying that the nursery doesn't need prayer. But the people who are in the battle are who? 
They're the ones who are going mano a mano against principalities and powers, ideologies that are against the very teachings of God. Who needs the prayer the most? So if the pastor says, I'm calling for a time of prayer, or even if he says, I'm calling for a time of fasting, there should be a throng of people saying, sign me up. What has happened to the body of Christ? What has happened? Key to this is that you do it in private. If they listen, you've gotten your brother back on a spiritual level. If they don't, it says take two wit- another witness. Okay? It doesn't mean that you ought to go to hang out and look in their windows and see if you can catch them sinning. It says that when I confront them with another witness, I can report of the attitude. Have you ever confronted somebody in their sin and got the wrong attitude? They'll either receive it or they'll reject it. If they receive it, then they draw that one to God. If they reject it, then you begin praying harder. If they receive it, they will recommit to the faithful study of the Word. Peter says, draw to the pure spiritual milk of the Word by which you may what? Grow. I guarantee a Christian who is caught in a trespass, their Bible time may not even be existent. I know their prayer time ain't. In my study of Scripture, if I'm in the Word, it drives me to prayer. If I'm in prayer, it drives me to the Word. Okay, and if I get both of those together, then I want to be in church. Why? Because you know what? I know the alternative. If this person rejects it after two witnesses, then you are to do what? Tell the church. You don't have to be specific. We've already done through this. Some of you in this church have experienced it before. You know what we do. We bring it up. It says that this person needs our prayers first and foremost. And I would ask, and in one case, I asked to send him a letter. Just send him a letter. You don't need to know the specific of this man's, in this case it was a man. You don't need to know the specific of this man's sin. Send him a letter. Tell him you care. Why? Share the gospel with him. Why? You want to treat him as an unbeliever. They repent, they'll move from it, and they'll move to God. Okay, they'll confess the Lord, they'll be cleansed, they'll be forgiven, and they'll commit themselves to the Word, they'll commit themselves to prayer, and all that is when we walk by the Spirit. So the initial step, process, is picking them up. If they refuse, treat them as a pagan. Treat them as somebody who needs to know the basics. You need to know that you're a sinner, and you need to know that the only way you're going to get saved is by grace through faith. Put them out. Why? Because you don't want that influence in the church. That influence has no benefit in the church. The church teaches against sin, but doesn't do anything about it. It's apathetic. Look at the church in America today. What do you call it? I call it pitiful. Church discipline in Castle Rock doesn't work. They got 49 other places they can go. But don't worry, I will track them down. That's just what I do. I mean, I, I contacted a church in Virginia in one case and said, you know what, this guy was set outside of the church for this reason, and now it's your problem. <laughs> okay? And in some cases, I've received restraining orders. Stay away from me. Don't bother me. That's fine. The first time I got one, I was shook to the core. I thought, oh my God, what have I done wrong? Then it dawned on me, you didn't do anything wrong. You did it right. 
Leaven in the living church is living the life out of it. Say that three times real fast. So I want to pick them up. Why? I want to pick up the sinning saint because I want them restored. Church discipline is for the restoration. It is a last resort. This is the last resort. I'm going to restore them. How? And it's a spirit of gentleness. In Galatians chapter 5, it says one of the fruit of the spirit is what? Gentleness. This shouldn't be hard if you're walking in the spirit. You're walking in the spirit. You're spirit filled. You're walking in the spirit. You're spirit controlled. Those who are spirit filled, those who are walking in the spirit, those who are spiritual, they're doing this in gentleness anyway. They're already there. They're already involved. They're already concerned. They're already a part of the people's lives. Those who are doing this in gentleness, those are the ones who are spiritual. Okay? This statement here, you who are spiritual, is a statement. You who are spiritual, restore one in a spirit of gentleness. It's a statement. This is a characteristic of your spirituality. There's a gentleness there. Please understand this. Gentleness confronts. You've got to get a hold of this. It isn't gentleness to ignore it. You ignore it, it will spread through the whole lump. There are some who are overbearing. There are some who are ungracious. There are some who are unkind. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. Um, the reason that this is given here, in 1 Corinthians, there was a man who had his father's wife, and the church was kind of bragging about it, how cool this was. And evidently, between those these two letters, there had been restoration. And he says, so on the contrary, verses 7 and 8, so on the contrary, you should rather forgive and comfort him. Now, how, how often do you see that? How often do you see a brother or a sister in sin? What if it's a brother or sister who's in the sin of adultery? What if they repent? What do you do? It says here, Forgive and comfort. Otherwise, such a one might be overwhelmed by excess of sorrow. We urge you to affirm your love for him. Forgiveness and comfort so the person is not overwhelmed by excess sorrow. You can come to them with a forgiving heart, a comforting, reaffirming love. Gentle, tender, patient, gentle, kind, patient. This is how this is done. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 15, if you find a person who doesn't want to work, it says you are to admonish them, but you don't admonish them as an enemy. Listen, these people who fall into sin aren't enemies. They're not enemies. They stumbled. Their flesh got the best of them. That's it. Footnote here, the lost are not their enemy. Quit treating them like they are. They're not the enemy. I remember when our former president got caught and everybody was mad. Impeach him. Throw him out. Do this, do this, do this. And then I had people come to me. What do you think about this? I said, what do you expect him to do? He's not saved. You don't truly expect him to walk in holiness, do you? I, I mean, I would probably have been more surprised if he hadn't. We come to one to 
to this one entangled in love. We come to one in gentleness. Look what he says. Back to Galatians 6. Looking to yourself that you too are not tempted. Lest you too are not tempted. Okay, now I'm going to ask you a question. All right. Have you ever known anyone to sin a sin that you could not be tempted in? Did you hear my question? Have you ever known anyone to sin a sin that you could not be tempted in? That's basically what Paul's saying here. Be real careful. Corinthians, he says, no temptation has seized you except that is common to man. Do you suppose there's any sin that you couldn't be tempted with? I think we're all temptable at any given moment. When we go to someone, we shouldn't go with an attitude. I can fix this. Why? Because you're already in a position of temptation. Do you really believe you can fix it? Then you don't need the Holy Spirit? Perfect. Knock yourself out. When you go to someone, how many times have you heard this? I really know what you're going through. You know what? In some cases, in some of your lives, I know what you're going through. But you know what? What I went through and what you're going through are not the same. Sin may be the same. Outcome may be the same. But your heart and my heart are different. I carry burdens that I wouldn't wish on anybody. And some of you carry burdens that I hope you don't ever share with me. (laughs) Okay? A lot of times I have been through what you've been through. You know what? A lot of times I've gone through what you, I have gone through what you went through. And I got my lunch handed to me. And I hope you make it without getting your butt whipped. Don't have to be identical, but I got to ask a dumb question. Who in this room has mastered their flesh? Jesus was tempted in all points and as we, and there we have, therefore we have a what? Faithful high priest. Okay? Tempted in all ways, except every temptation that Jesus was given, it went to its full length. And he was without sin. I don't want that. Don't give me that. Therefore, he comes to us to convict, to chasten, all to restore us with an understanding heart, a person who has never sinned. We who have fallen into sin, we who were redeemed out of sin, we should have an understanding greater than Jesus' heart. We've been there. I've smelled it. I've tasted it. It's hurt me. I carry scars on my body of my sins. How can I not care for those who are around me struggling with the same thing? Look what he says here. He says, look to yourself. This is a very strong verb. Okay? Not lording it over them. All right? Basically what he's trying to say is, I need you to observe yourself. Why? Lest you be tempted. Lest you fall into this. How easy is it for us to be tempted? Let me tell you how easy it is. 
All you have to do is not go in a spirit of gentleness. That's how easy it is to be tempted. That's how easy it is. You think about that. I'll let you guys ponder that because I was sitting there going, how do we explain that? And I said, you know what? That text explains itself. How easy it for, for me to be tempted if I'm going to confront you of your sin, if I don't do it in gentleness? That's how easy it is to be tempted. Matthew Gospel, chapter 12, verse 20, he's talking about Messiah. It says, the bruised reed, he will not break. The smoking flax, he will not extinguish. You know what is cool about that? The Messiah, the anointed of God, will not break the bruised reed, nor will he extinguish the smoldering flax. When people are bruised, when people's fire is burning low, Jesus doesn't. Throw them away. You got that? Listen, if you don't get anything out of any of these messages, would you please remember that? When the reed is bruised, it speaks of a reed that they used to play. They'd cut it and cut notches in it and they'd play them as flutes. And as you slobber would get through that thing, it'd get flimsy. And then it'd throw and they'd just pitch it. How many Christians that I've seen, they're making beautiful music to God and at some point it becomes overwhelmed and saturated and it becomes limp and bruised and our immediate response is, pitch it. You've got a little smoldering flax, it's got a little thing, it's got a little wick in it, it's just barely smoking, got a little smoke coming out, you can see a little red fire in there, but oh, come on, I need light, I need light, I'm throwing that thing away. I see that too much, it grieves my heart. We go to the strength, the saint who is struggling, knowing that we can be tempted. We go in gentleness. We go in an attitude of forgiveness. We know our weaknesses. We confront it so we can lift it up. I want the bruised reed to behold and make its beautiful music again. And I want the smoldering flax to be nurtured and cared for so it becomes that bright fire again. Christ himself never threw him away. How could we? We have this responsibility, and it starts by picking them up. And the starting of picking them up is you have to confront their sin. You have to confront the issue. Never worry about the spiritual people doing this because they're full of love and joy and peace, and they're all doing it right. My big concern, and I warned you last week that I'd be on you like white on rice, is when the flesh tries to help the flesh. And you know what? Odds are, I'm coming at you in my flesh. Because I will not tolerate that. And I would like to say that God would overwhelm me with His Spirit and I'd be spiritual in my confrontation of you. Odds are slim to none that that's going to happen. But I will... Uh, hmm. Fleshly people trying to straighten out fleshly people. It's everywhere. Look what it says here. Verse 3. No, wait. Let's go with uh, verse 2. Bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. Literally, the syntax of this statement is carry with endurance. Okay? Falling to the flesh. Now, hear this. Falling to the flesh is a result of an unbearable burden of temptation. We, you, I, must help carry it. 
You know, in some cases, it may take multiples to carry one person's burden. And you know what I've learned? You help carry it and they'll fall again and then they'll fall again and you'll pick them up and they'll fall again and you'll pick them up and you'll fall again and you'll pick them up and they start wobbling and then they'll fall again and you pick them up and they wobble and they take a couple of steps, they fall again. And with endurance, that's no big deal. Now I want you to ask yourself, what human principle can you use to do that and endure it? They may be hit with the same kinds of things over and over and over, but we are persistent in this heavy load. We don't bear it alone very well. When you carry a burden of temptation, you cannot bear it by yourself. Sin likes to have you alone. The more you're alone, the more you are tempted. That's hard for me. I like being alone. And it's something that I struggle with even to this day. I like being alone. There's times just leave me alone. But I've learned that sin likes to have me there. Sit down here. Let's talk. We can work this out. And the Spirit is saying, you don't want none of that. That's why I like to be around Christians. I like to be around strong Christians. I like to be around other believers. Why? Those are Christ relationships. They strengthen. They, I can feel the strength when I'm around Christians. I sit with a room full of pastors from about as many backgrounds as you've ever seen, 20-some uh, of them from all over the country, some from Russia, and I knew that I was strong there because I was feeding off of their strength. We need to bear one another's burdens. We, need to know, we, we don't do well alone. That's why I don't understand why people stay away from church. Relationships is how this is done. Meet regularly. Meet steadily. Carry the load. Accountability. Do you know that sometimes you guys are carrying a load for me and you never even know I've got a burden? Just your being there helped me with the load. We don't understand that today. We just don't understand that today. I want to give you a text. 2 Corinthians deals with ministry, what I call ministry, what it's like to be in ministry. There's, there's a lot more in it, but I, I want to share with you this. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 is talking about being run out of Ephesus, his, his whole ministry team, and they'd all been scattered and they didn't know what had happened, who got arrested, if anybody survived, and he was out. And I want to read something. Now, this is the Apostle Paul. Now, we're going to have to say Apostle Paul is sort of like on the spiritual giant side. Huh? I mean, he, he's sort of, well, boy, got it together, ain't he? Okay. <clears throat> Here's what it says in verse 5, chapter 7, 2 Corinthians. For even when we came to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. You know what that means, right? He is bummed out. Okay? Had no rest. We were afflicted on every side. Conflicts without, fears within. Then look what he says. Well, I just prayed to God and I said, you know, His grace is sufficient, life is good, and we'll rock and roll. That ain't what he said. Look what he says. But God, who comforts the, the New American Standard is the best translation, the depressed. The depressed. How did it, God, who comforts the depressed, help Paul? He brought Titus. How often do we overlook that text? 
There is no rest in my spirit. I have stepped into manic depression. Take a Prozac. Take a... No, Valium don't work, does it? No! Go find Titus. And Titus was the one who was left on the island of Crete to put in place elders. So I'm thinking Titus has got some kind of spiritual thing going. What do you think? When you are depressed, when you are overwhelmed, when you are downtrodden, when you've got no help in your spirit, what do you do? Paul said, God's brought us Titus. He was comforted by someone who just came alongside. Just the presence of people. I mean, what theology do you suppose Titus is going to give to Paul? Someone to bear the burden, strengthen in the weakness. This is real Christian fellowship. This is koinonia. How real is this? Go back to your text. This only fulfills the law of Christ. That's all. That's all. Let me explain that phrase to you right there. This is not a suggestion of Jesus. This is an obligation to fulfill the law of Christ. Verse 3 hits it right on the head. Why this is not being utilized in the body of Christ today. Anyone thinks he is something, he's nothing. (laughs) Paul, I love the way he just minces words. Okay? The reason that you and I do not minister to one another is because we think we're something. That's going to take my time. Well, I could run up the minutes on my phone bill. You know what Paul says of you? You've just deceived yourself and you're nothing. I didn't say that. Paul said that. That bugs you. Well, it takes time. You don't understand. I had a hard day at the office today. I had a hard day with this. My kids are doing this. My work is doing this and I can't do this. And I'm just going to go home and chill out. Paul says, you've deceived yourself. Because you know why I look at it? You couldn't do it anyway. And I just assume you go home and chill out. Why? Because if you're spirit-filled, you're going to say, you know what, I can't do this. I'm tired. I've had a long day at the office. I'm physically tired. My body aches. My head hurts. I've been traveling. I've been doing this. I've been doing that. But God said that this brother, this sister needs me right now. God, I need your strength to get this thing done. And God says, perfect. Perfect. You will bear much fruit. You will bear much fruit. I like that. Chief reason we don't pick up and hold up, a lot of people like to look down on those who are entangled. Okay, I'm going to wrap this thing up a little bit. Here's a quote that has been blazoned on my soul for a long, long time. I'm going to share it to you. This is the quote. Should I fall into the snare of sin, I will pray I do not land in the hands of the self-righteous judges in the church. Let me fall into the hands of the barkeepers and the street walker. Church people will tear me apart with their long, wagging, gossipy tongues, cutting me to shreds. Unquote. Charles Spurgeon said that. Listen, there's days that I have stumbled, there's some days I have stumbled into awful things. Some of you have helped bear those burdens and you never even knew it. But I cannot share that with people. Why? 
people will tear me apart with their long, wagging, gossiping tongues, cutting me to shreds. My challenge to you, if you're spiritual, get busy. If you're not spiritual, please be quiet and do nothing. Okay? If you're in your flesh right now, don't get involved. You're deceived. Verse 4 says, each one must examine his own work. Okay? Better examine. Okay? When you examine, then you can boast. Pick them up. That's the confronting part. Hold them up. That's the walking part. Life in the Spirit. Life in the Spirit is, is, is full of frailty. We still fall into a level of our flesh. Every single one of us. And yet God has given us the body of Christ, the church, knit together the joints and the ligaments together for the spiritual to come alongside the fleshly. That's what it's for. Lift them up. Hold them up. Build them up. And there's only one way you're going to do that. It's the spirit of living God, supernatural enabling. You can't do it any other way. I heard an illustration. I got it from Yuri Sipko, actually. He's talking about uh, in, Gal- in Ephesians where it talks about we were all the joints together. Uh, he had a uh, time in his life where his wrist started hurting to the point that even if his jacket touched his wrist, uh, it, was a, it was a debilitating pain. And he couldn't understand it. He went to multiple doctors to try to find out what's wrong. They x-rayed and did all that stuff. And they said, there's nothing wrong with this. You're, you're out of your mind. But he knew that he had that, that wrist, that if it touched something or if it moved, it would literally take him to his knees in pain. Okay? Finally, he was just, just struggling just, just to exist. And this is a man, a pastor, a pastor of pastors. And he found this doctor, and his doctor did some tests on it, and he says, I know what it is. And he said, inside the wrist and in all of your joints, um, I know that in your elbows, because I got one that's busted, there's a little bag of lubricant in your joints. And that bag had been um, ruptured. And basically what he had was bone on bone when it moved. Okay? And when that happened, the friction of those two bones together was so debilitating in its pain that it literally would take him to his knees. I think it's your burris sack or something like that in your elbow anyway. All right? So they gave him a regimen and some vitamins and stuff like that. They put it back together, and sure enough, within a very short time, that was all together. I give you that illustration because when flesh starts helping flesh, there's no lubricant in there. And what do you have? excruciating pain that I'm probably going to have to deal with. (laughs) Right? Ain't that it? But when Paul uses the illustration that the body of Christ is like the human body, do you understand what he's saying? We want to be the, I want to be the bone. Yeah, I'm under the bone thing. Yeah, I don't mind being the arm. Who wants to be the lubricant between the two bones? Because that has to be there, or it don't work. 
See how important the ministry of the one another is? It's crucial. Absolutely crucial. My prayers are for this body of people. Walk in the Spirit. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for helping us to hear this and to see this. And Father, you who give ears, let us hear. The Spirit would want us to do this. Father, I just praise you for what you have done. Lord, I thank you for, uh, I thank you for these brothers and sisters. Lord, what they mean to me. Father, how they encourage me. And Lord, I just pray that uh, by your strength, your mercy, your forgiveness, your power, we can walk to you and you alone. Thank you, Father, for drawing us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for perfecting us. Father, thank you for the awesome things that you do through us. May this body of people be that reflection that Christ has, Christ has commanded to a lost and dying people. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. In Christ's name, amen.